is risen. Amen. Some of you might not know that old tradition from the time of the resurrection. The disciples actually would declare to one another, they would greet each other and say, He is risen, and the response would be, He is risen indeed. So I'm greeting you this morning on this celebration of the resurrection, and I'm saying, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the amazing privilege of standing in your presence and lifting up the risen Savior and King. I honor you this morning. I acknowledge before you and this people that I'm utterly dependent upon you. Holy Spirit, you're the only teacher. Open our ears, open our eyes, give us understanding, give us perception. Lord, we ask you today, we thank you that because of the Word of God is inspired, it's God-breathed, and it's profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, the people of God, may be thoroughly furnished and trained and equipped for every good work. Open our eyes and our hearts today as we hear your Word in Jesus' mighty name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. I'm excited to be here with you this morning, and uh, there is a, a passage that I would like to look at together with you today. It's found in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. It's not in your notes. I know you're thinking, man, there's a lot of scripture there, and that's really more for just some substantiation for the three simple things I'm going to share. Uh, I'm teaching all the guys around here, the people who participate in any kind of ministry or proclamation of the word. There are three things that I've used for years. I've never heard anybody else do this, but it's really just a variation on the same thing that a lot of pastors use or teachers. Anytime I get up before a group of people, whether it's two or whether it's 200 or whatever, uh, I always move from three points. What, so what, and now what? And so this morning, I'm going to bring to you the what, which is the resurrection. So what, how does that have an implication in the lives of humanity today? But then it comes down to now what? Now, now what are you going to do with it? Because it's driven down to the point of a personal commitment one way or another to the question that we're going to bring this morning. This message is actually going to be the springboard into the next series. I'm so excited about this new series we're starting next week. It's called App, as Pastor Alex already did a beautiful job explaining to you what we're doing, and it's going to be very, very interactive. We're going to use, utilize our technology. So bring your phones with you. Make sure they're set to silent, and if you would check that right now during the service, if you would, please, and just make sure your phone is on silent or vibrate or whatever so it doesn't disturb the flow of the Holy Spirit or the people that are there next to you in their worship in the time that the Word is going forth. Uh, next Sunday, particularly... Um, we're going to be utilizing some technology, either texting in or tweeting in some questions. We're going to be doing five messages on this series called App, and we're going to be devoting it to answering some questions in terms of what are the practical applications of this thing called the new creation. We celebrate it here at Victory. Matter of fact, we call all of those who come to Christ and those who make recommitments to Christ fresh starts because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, in the message translation, it says, he who is united to the Messiah gets a fresh start. Everybody say fresh start. And so we, we really want to find out what all that means. And so starting today, because it all begins with and flows out of the source of the resurrection, because the resurrection changes everything. Look at your neighbor right now and tell them, say, neighbor, the resurrection changes everything. And so it's from that vantage point that we begin. We're going to do five messages smack in the middle of it. My dear friend Chip Bueller, who's been here before at Victory a number of times, is going to be coming in from Atlanta and preaching that third message for us. And this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be timing these messages with just one thought only. That's to introduce one main idea 
about 20 to 25 minutes, and then we're going to dedicate the last 15 that we normally have in the service time for the Word to taking your texted in and tweeted in questions. So if you're not on Twitter, I encourage you to sign up and get on that. And we'll be tweeting them into Victory Wired, which is our tweet, Twitter account. Or you can text them in and I'll give you a phone number so that you can do that. And they'll all be filtered through the media center and then will appear. The questions will appear on the screen. So this is going to be a really cool thing. I'm excited about it. And so that series will flow out of what we're looking at today. Because the resurrection is what it's all about. It's the beginning of the new creation. So as we look this morning to John chapter 20... I want to do verses 1 through 10 real quickly because this will set the stage for what we're looking at. John 20. Early in the morning on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone was moved away from the entrance. She ran at once to Simon Peter and the other disciple. Everybody say John. John writes his gospel and he never gives his name. He calls himself the other disciple or the one who Jesus loved, or the beloved one. Simon Peter, she ran at once to Simon Peter, and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, breathlessly panting. They took the master from the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple left immediately for the tomb. They ran neck and neck. The other disciple got to the tomb first, outrunning Peter. Stopping to look in, he saw the pieces of linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Simon Peter arrived after him, entered the tomb, observed the linen cloths lying there, and the kerchief, another translation says the napkin, and the kerchief used to cover his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but separate, neatly folded by itself. Then the other disciple, the one who had gotten there first, went into the tomb, took one look at the evidence, and believed. Everybody say, look and believe. Not one yet, or no one yet, knew from the Scripture that he had to rise from the dead. The disciples then went back home. Now think for a minute with me for this morning, if you would. The cross has ended in the minds of disciples who had hopes that were unbelievable and indescribable in terms of a coming kingdom. They had seen dead raised, they'd seen blind eyes opened and deaf ears unstopped, and they had seen the miraculous power of Jesus over nature and commanding storms, walking on water, defying laws of gravity, taking a fish and breaking it in half, and after he blessed it, the head grew a tail and the tail grew a head, and he continued to break them and multiply them to the point that a little boy who had enough to feed himself with five loaves and two fishes turned it into a mass feeding for 5,000. He turned it into a great big huge fish and chips party, and everybody was invited and didn't number the women or the children in those days. So it's literally said among scholars that probably because of the 5,000 number was just the men that were counted, and, and, and there were probably literally between 15 and 20,000 people there that got lunch from five loaves and two fish. And so Jesus showed his ability to take our little and make it much when we put it in his hands. They saw him take the words of the old covenant which had been death 
when it came through the voice of a Pharisee, but when Jesus spoke it, it became words that were living. There was life there, and, and lives changed. And, and, and the true spirit of the law, which was supposed to show us and lead us to Christ and then bring salvation and deliverance and set us free, it took Jesus to take those words that other men were using for bondage and other men were using for destruction. And Jesus had the ability to take those words and use them in the original spirit in which they were spoken when they came from the voice and the mouth of the Father and lives were touched and people were changed. And so they had built this massive hope. There was a time when they questioned it and said, Jesus, are you really the one? Especially when John the Baptist was in prison in Matthew chapter 11 and John himself was having doubts and he said, I just thought for sure you were the one. Are you really the one? And Jesus said, go and tell John the blind see and the deaf hear and, and the poor have the gospel preached to him and, and tell him blessed is he who is not offended in me. Greek word scandalon. We get our English word scandal. It, it, it covers the front pages of the Inquirer and all of the rags at the supermarket checkout counter. There was something about what had just taken place a couple of days prior that was actually scandalous to the disciples because they had hoped and they had set their hope and their affection on this one who had come and was declaring the glory of the Lord. And it had been evidenced prolifically with the crowds that had come and had declared the word of the Lord and said, this is the Messiah. And just a week prior, they'd waved their palm branches and they had shouted, Hosanna to the king. But yet, a couple of days before this, they saw something turn in history, took a change, and, and things began to develop on a very negative side, and darkness began to encroach over Jerusalem, and three crosses appeared on a hill called Golgotha, and this one who was to be the Savior, this one who was to be the King, this one who was to be crowned, and to, to bring the kingdom and the government back away from the Romans and restore it to the Jews, all of a sudden their hopes had been dashed to death because this one had died the cruel, punitive execution of a criminal. Died between two who deserved it, but one who was righteous and just and holy. Stood in the place between God and man, but at this point they didn't understand that. They were just grieved. They were just a couple of days heading into the third day. When they got word, Mary came and said, Peter, John, they've taken our Lord from the tomb. What have they done with him? Peter and John immediately get up and they run with passion, with intensity, heading. They're going down to the tomb. They're looking and they run into the tomb and immediately at the beginning they see the linen cloths lying there. John stops at the mouth of the tomb and Peter runs in and he looks and he knows that that once was the encasing of his master and his Lord. And he said, can it? Can it possibly, can it possibly be? And he looks over to the side and he sees that it's not just some linen cloths that are lying there, but there's a napkin that's over on the other side and it's folded up. And Peter goes over and he looks at it and he says, oh my God, it is so. Because he knew that in Hebrew tradition that at the end of a feast, when something was completely finished and when you were done, you didn't just wad up the napkin and throw it down, but you were very careful out of gracious courtesy to your host and to show that you had been satisfied 
All the requirements had been met. Everything had been fulfilled. When Jesus got up out of those grave clothes, he took the time to fold the napkin that had once covered his head and he folded it to show and to signify that the head had completely tasted death for every man and destroyed it. He folded it and he laid it to the side because he was showing us by demonstration that he who is the head of the body, Christ who is the head of the church, the head even cannot say to the feet, that is the body that is alive on the earth right now. Your feet are in touch with terra firma. You are alive and present. Great hero of church history of mine. John Wesley talked about the church militant and the church triumphant. The church militant are those that are alive and that are carrying out their destiny and that are serving in the army of God on the earth right now. And then there are those who've gone before us. They populate the grandstands of heaven. Hebrews chapter 12 says that we are amphitheatered about by a great cloud of witnesses. We are surrounded by them. And the scripture tells us that they are cheering us on to run the last leg of the race. The church triumphant is cheering and interceding and praying for the church militant. That is you. What am I saying this morning? He who is the head of the church showed us that the garments that covered the body haven't yet been folded up in completion yet. But we've got an earnest of our inheritance. We've had the down payment of a promise that's been given to us. And I'm going to tell you, when Jesus puts some earnest money down on a house that he's bought, that he's dwelling in, that he's going to make his habitation, that he's going to make his abode, I want to tell you that when he folded the cloth that had covered the head, he is promising us that it's not going to be finished until it's all folded up and the body puts death. Come on, somebody, help me a little bit in this place. The head conquered death, and he folded it up, and he said, it's finished. When Jesus died on the cross, the, the demons and the imps and the hordes of hell danced, and they thought they had defeated the Lord of glory, but little did they know, because 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, had the rulers of this age known, they would not have crucified the Lord's Christ. It was hidden victory. It was veiled in shame. It was the mystery of the work of God and the cross because everything that God does is upside down. This is a kingdom of reciprocity. It is upside down to our humanistic natural thinking because Jesus came to show us that if you want to really live, you've got to be willing to die and lay down your life. If you're going to receive, you have to first give. If you're going to lead, you're going to have to serve. If you're going to be honored, you're going to have to humble yourself. It's a kingdom of opposites. It's reciprocals. You remember what you had in the 6th or the 7th grade in math where you would take the fraction and flip it upside down and multiply it. That's called reciprocity. It's called reciprocals. And the only way we're going to see the world change and the glory of God fill the planet is not by a domination mindset, but it's by a spirit of servanthood that gets up underneath the hurting humanity of the delta and loves them in the midst 
of all their pitiful sinfulness because we were just like them. Are you hearing me this morning? Jesus' death on the cross was the death of death. Death died on the cross. And it was sealed when he rose again because the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, he was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. One more time with everything that's in your heart, look at your neighbor and say, Neighbor, I believe what he's saying. The resurrection really does change everything. Come on, give him praise this morning. It was the sign of the Father's acceptance of the sacrifice. I was overwhelmed last Sunday after a few moments preaching to you just what I experienced in my heart, in my mind. I saw it in my eye. As I prepared to preach to you the crucifixion and they brought the cross and set it center and every one of you had a piece of paper and a pen in your seat and wrote various things that from your past have marked you. Things that you really wish that you hadn't done if you could go back and do it over again. And I shared with you that I realized that my past may have made me the man that I am now, but it doesn't have to define the man that I can become. And that is because of one thing. That's not because of me white-knuckling it in humanistic determination. It's not because of me deciding to turn over a new leaf every day or make a new resolution at the beginning of every new year. But it's simply by me releasing the obligation to do it myself and to say to God, I can't, but you can. And my willingness to receive from him and let the one who died for me now live on the inside of me. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Three points very quickly. Number one, the resurrection marks the beginning of the new creation. Jesus put an end to the old and he opened up a whole new heavens and a new earth, a whole new covenant. A new covenant began that was built upon better promises, based upon a better sacrifice and built upon a better resurrection. Book of Hebrews is all about the closing out of the old and the opening up of the new. The scripture says he took away the first so that he might establish the second. He took away old Adam so that he could give us the last Adam, which is Jesus Christ. The resurrection marks the beginning of the new creation. I love this passage, Revelation chapter 1, the closing book of the New Testament. And the canon of Scripture says, Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits before the throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. Say that phrase with me. The firstborn from the dead. If there is a firstborn, it is an obvious implication that there is a secondborn. There was 120 born on the day of Pentecost. Peter went out and preached, possessed by God like a madman, and 5,000, 3,000 the first day were born, and the next day 5,000 more, and every day God's adding to the church by his grace. Priests believe. People repented. Acts 13 says all of those that were appointed to eternal life believed. 
So God is reaching out, calling his bride. He is speaking and he's calling his sheep by name and they're coming unto him. And the first century turns over and the second and the third and 1000 AD comes and everybody has millennial hysteria thinking it's going to be the end of the world. And we see that march through the dark ages and into the Renaissance and the Reformation. God taps a little German monk on the shoulder by the name of Martin Luther who begins to get your revelation out of Habakkuk and Galatians in the book of Romans that says the just shall live by faith and he began to preach it and it was the shot heard around the world. I want to tell you what my hope is this morning. Every hundred years there is a flood that is historical. My, my, my dad I grew up hearing him tell stories about the Great Depression, and I heard him telling the stories about the flood that came. I can't remember exactly what year it was, but it was also in the 30s, in that great period of, uh, of just, just human suffering. My dad was one of 12 kids and was just of a little family of dirt farmers from Savannah, Tennessee, and they struggled to make it. And then as soon as they come out of it, here comes World War II, and dad's enlisted, and there he goes, or rather he got drafted. And I hear him tell stories about that, and I've learned just from meteorological, climatological patterns that every generation, about every hundred years, there is just one of these gully-washing floods that hits. But if you even look back farther than that, every 500 years, there is something that comes and it literally changes everything. It literally just shakes culture down to its roots, a 500-year flood. You know what? That principle that I'm giving you also applies in the spirit. Every hundred years, you look throughout church history, and there's an inundation. There's a a rain that becomes a flood, and the streams of God's righteousness begin to flow, and people make a turn back to God. They turn away from sin, and they start to return to the Lord and remember the things of God. But I want to tell you something. Every 500 years, we have something that actually shakes history down to its culture. You know what I believe we're in line for right now? You know, the last one of those that happened was the Reformation of the church in 1517. What is this, 2011? We're right at about the 500-year mark. Let me just tell you the kind of hope that I have for the church. I don't think this thing is going to get worse and worse until in the midst of our pathetic weakness, Jesus has to come and just snatch out what few that are left of any kind of a faithful church. I want to tell you, I believe that we're going to see an earth-shaking, culture-breaking, not just a revival, but a reformation. It's going to totally change everything. It's because of what Jesus Christ did in the resurrection 2,000 years ago, the firstborn from the dead. The scripture goes on to declare to us that passage to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus said, I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. What did Jesus do during that three-day period? There's a lot of speculation, a lot of which I really don't think we can stand in the pulpit and preach with any authority because the Word really doesn't speak to that. I just know for a fact that when he came up, he said, while I was down there, I got something that I didn't used to have in my hand. There were some keys that somebody else had. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 that we were fear. We were fearful. We were enslaved. We were subject to fear all of our lifetime because Satan held the power of death. But now because Jesus is alive and he fooled the enemy, he holds the keys of death in Hades. (laughs) Hallelujah. Christ's work for me 
is finished. When Jesus hung on the cross in John 19 and he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. I want you to know that everything was completely and totally paid for. I went to Israel a few years ago. The very same way that you would go down here to the paint store and you would pick up a receipt and the load of paint that you're going to take home to paint your house with and they mark on your receipt paid and they'll write the check number or the credit card or the cash or however, whatever means it's used to pay for it, they just mark it paid. In the very same way, your eternal receipt for the sin debt, as we preached last week, was canceled and Jesus marked it tetelestai. Completely paid in full. It is paid for. It is finished. Jesus' work on the cross for you is finished. It is done. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give him praise. Christ's work for me is finished. Number two, Jesus Christ is the prototype. He's the first one in a whole new race. A prototype. If any of you have ever been to any car shows, or maybe a musician, and you've been to NAM, one of the NAM shows out in California, and they bring out what is the cutting-edge technology in keyboards and music and guitars and, and amplification and media and sound and lighting and all of these kind of things. They sh- they're showing us literally in the next 10 years where we're headed. When, it, when a new car rolls off the assembly line, many times it's a model of something that is possibly going to be brought into existence in the next 10, 15, 20, 25 years. Alternative fuel options. It's a prototype. It's, it's the first. It's, it's rolling off the assembly line. In the very same kind of way, Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. He is the prototype. He's the first of a whole new creation man, a whole new race of people. God, Jesus is both God and man. And because of the resurrection of his conquering death, that same DNA, that same seed of Christ brought you into the kingdom of God by birth. You're not the same old guy with a second chance or a third chance. God didn't just wipe it out so you could be stuck in the same predicament and end up making the same mistakes. No, no, no. You have a new nature on the inside of you. It's alive. Christ who died and rose again has made you alive and come to take up his abode on the inside of you. Come on, somebody. Give him praise. Look at your text. Giving thanks to the Father. How many of you got a little bit of that in your heart this morning? Everybody say, I'm thankful. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. I love that. A qualifying race for the New York Marathon is one that you have to finish in a certain amount of time. Maybe in Memphis, St. Jude. Maybe the Chicago Marathon. It qualifies you. How many of you know this is not something that you are able to qualify in your own merit or your own strength, but giving thanks to the Father himself who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. This is the reason I'm telling folks all the time, we can't keep having a sin consciousness. If preachers get in the pulpit every Sunday and they tell you, well, you're going to sin a little bit every day, guess what the sheep are going to go out and do? They're going to go out and do the word that they heard. I'm telling you, let me tell you something. Now, Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say it this way. I love it. Because of the finished work of Christ, he has paid for the penalty of my sins. He has delivered me from the power of sin over me. And when I see him, I will be totally rid of the presence of any sin in my life. Now, I'm not saying this morning that I don't have sin, but I'm telling you I have a choice now because I've got a new nature on the inside of me. And what I used to do and enjoy, I might try it now, but I got something inside of me that just goes sideways and says, "Eh." it's called the Holy Spirit. 
Are you with me this morning? So no longer am I going to be identified by what I used to be. Now I'm going to be identified by what he's made me to be. Everybody say a saint. A saint in light. Say it again. A saint in light. Look at that. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Look at the tense here. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us. Everybody say past tense. And brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. Everybody read the next phrase in your notes with me. What does it say? The firstborn over all creation. There it is again. Stay with me. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Everybody say, it's all about Jesus. That's it right there. And he is the head of the body. What did we say? The head folded it up because he said it's finished. It's done. He paid for, tasted death for every man. The head has already conquered death. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. Here it comes again. And the firstborn from among the dead. Everybody say firstborn. I love it. So that in everything he might have the supremacy, the preeminence. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It is not just about his death. Too many times in our gospel presentations, we say he died for us and we fail to tell the rest of the story. If he had died and not gotten up out of the grave, Jesus sacrifice would not have been accepted by the Father. But because he arose, was it Dallas Holmes saying in the 70s, and I'll rise again. Death can't keep me in the ground. Don Francisco said, he's alive and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. The rest, the other half of the gospel is not just that he died for me, but that right now he lives for me. Come on, somebody. He is alive. And because he is alive, Christ's work in me is now ongoing. Christ's work for me on the cross is finished. Christ's work in me, he is now doing. Being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Point number three, and I'm finished. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? The resurrection means a new day and a new commission. It is a new day for you. It is a fresh start. Every time you recognize the resurrection of Christ in your life and you thank God that he's alive for you, it is a fresh start. You know what? You, right now in your life, just speaking totally naturally, apart from the, the touch of a new life in Christ. You might not be able to go back and start and make a new beginning, but you can start right now and make a new end. Are you hearing me? And so when we even roll that over and we add the resurrection of Christ to that, it literally does become a whole new beginning. Because you who were dead are now made alive in Christ. So the last point is this. Because of the resurrection, it means a new day and a new commission. I'd like you if you would take your notes and I want you to just read this last passage with me as we bring this message down to its end because this is so powerful. I, I've, I've preached the what and the so what 
Now I'm coming down to the now what? Therefore, read it with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Stop. This is not gender specific. He means humanity. This includes all the ladies. Ladies, you in the Bible are called sons of God. At the same time, men are called the bride of Christ. So it's, it's a little strange for both of us, okay? All right? It's not gender specific. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Say it with me. Now, here we go. The old has gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Look at this. This is the gospel right here. This is what happened on the cross and what culminated in the resurrection. Read the last verse with me, verse 21. God who made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The scandal of the cross is that at the very same moment in history, both the wrath And the love of God would be poured out at the same time. God's holy hatred for sin was poured out on the cross. Jesus was beaten relentlessly. If you don't believe that, you should take time to watch Mel Gibson's The Passion of Christ. And if you can't watch that and sense some breaking up in your heart... For the man who came and changed history because he is the God-man. Not was, he is. He is alive. We have to speak in terms of present tense. And really was is correct because he is the one who inhabits was, is, and is to come. Eternity past, time present, and eternity future as well. But the scandal of the cross is that at the same time that God would pour out his wrath on a substitute, one who deserved nothing of which he received. There are people sitting under the sound of my voice this morning that are going through circumstances, <coughs> some of which you made yourself, some of which you've literally become a victim of that you really had no choice in, and you're in the place of Habakkuk going, God, why and how long? And let me just remind you that the one who endured more shame and more suffering and the, the, the gross degeneration of all the sin of humankind poured out upon him became the sin bearer for all of us. Didn't deserve any of it. If there was any man who has ever endured unrighteous accusation, it was the holy and sinless Son of God. But yet at the cross, the scandal of the cross, the, the offense of it, is that God would at the very same moment that he pours out his holy hatred on sin, he would... Show how much he loved the world. That, I, I can't get my head around that. I, Jesus was smitten of God. He was beaten. He was bruised. John 18, 
they're in the garden and they're approaching Jesus and Peter loves his master and he takes out his sword and they ask, where is this Jesus? And Jesus says, I am he. And there was such power when he said, I am, that they all fell down and then had to get back up again. Don't you know that he could have just breathed a little bit of a slightly intense breath and just burn them all up on the spot? And Jesus looked at Peter and he said, put your sword away. Don't you think I'm going to drink the cup that the Father has given to me to drink? Sure, the Romans had a hand in it. Sure, the Jews yelled crucify. You know what? It really comes down to it. Every one of us had a hand because our sin demanded the righteous judgment of God. But you know what? Ultimately, it was the Father who did that. Jesus was the propitiation. He, was, he absolved the righteous anger of God. And God loved you and he loved me so much that everything that you ever could have done that would define you and mark you, as I preached last Sunday about the cross, Jesus put it aside, canceled the debt, nailing it to his cross. Like the scapegoat in the book of Leviticus that was sent in the wilderness, having had the imputation of the sins of Israel with a high priest laying hands on the head of that scapegoat and it's pushed out into the wilderness and it dies. It's a picture of carrying the sins of the people away. Jesus became, that's where we got that word from the Bible. Jesus was our heavenly scapegoat. And all of the sins were imputed and laid down upon him. And he became the sin bearer and he took them away. He carried them down into death and swallowed them up and came back up out of it in newness of life. And now, as far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103, so far hath he removed your transgressions from you. You know, do you realize that on the globe that you can go so far north that eventually you'll begin to come back around and go south again. How was it that in a time that they didn't even have the knowledge of astronomy and the topography and the geography of the earth that the prophet of old in Psalm 103 could not relate it to north and south but to east and west because if you head east on the planet and you start to go east, do you realize that you will never ever go west? East is perpetually far removed from west. That's how far your sins have been removed from you. Come on this morning. If you've got a little bit to be thankful for, would you give him some praise? But I just want to say this. I think we've preached a man-centeredness. It's not even about me. It's not about you. I don't believe Jesus did that. For you or me, either one. I believe he did it for the glory of his Father. Listen to this, and I'm finished. Isaiah 43, 48. Let me get this one first. I have two verses. Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 11. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Isaiah 43, 25. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Let me give that to you in the message and I'm completely finished. But I 
Yes, I am the one who takes care of your sins. That's what I do. I don't keep a list of your sins. Bow your heads with me, please, this morning for a word of prayer. Almighty God, giver of all life, lover of the souls of men, you who have been speaking to the hearts of each and every individual in this room, draw us now, Holy Spirit, I pray. You're calling your own sheep by name right now. I just want to say to you, on this holy day, the celebration of the most important event that ever happened in the history of mankind, it comes down to now what? You, you, you've been in a service with us. We've celebrated for a few moments a risen Savior. He's in the world today. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart, the old hymn says. And so I would ask you that question. We've talked about the what. This is a, a, a life-changing event that happened in history. And, 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 and now the so what. And it's affected all of mankind. And, and, and every one of us has the opportunity to put our trust in him and begin a fresh start, a new life, united with the Messiah. The old is gone. My past may make me who I am today, but it does not define who I can become. It no longer limits me because now I'm in Christ. And so this morning I would ask you, now what? Now what? Now what for you, each and every one of you individually? Have you ever put your trust fully and totally and completely in him and, and just looked upon him? Like the disciple John, he looked into the tomb and he saw the evidence. And the Bible says he saw it and he believed. You know what? This isn't about a formula. It's not about praying a certain kind of way. And God doesn't save any of us because our theology is right. Because all of us come to him with a messed up view of who God is and how good he is and all of that. You know what? It's just basically coming to a place of bankruptcy in your own heart. And you just basically say, Jesus, save me. I can't do it. Jesus himself in John 3 said, even as Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And let me tell you something. More than even the right kind of words. It's just looking and living. Look on him and live. If you can see, not Christ on a cross this morning, but Christ standing Lord over death, coming out of the tomb with a passionate love for you that is absolutely is indescribable in human terms or words. I'm not going to draw this out any longer. I just want to ask you with every head bowed, every eye closed in the room, if you would like to be included in this prayer that I'm about to pray and all of us that are in the room here, believers, if you'd like to be included, nobody's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you and call you forward here up in front of everybody. I just would like for you to take this step. If you would with me this morning, if you'd like to be included in this prayer and say, I need a fresh start in God, I want to trust in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I want to ask Him to not keep a list of my junk, my sins. If you'd like to be included in that prayer, every head bowed, nobody looking around, would you please just slip up your hand right where you are right now? See that hand, brother. Thank you. Anybody else? Just a couple more. Yes. Yeah. All right. Everybody else listening, heads still bowed, eyes still closed. You're a believer. You've been walking with the Lord. But there's something today you've sensed the Spirit of God drawing and touching 
speaking to you about freshness in your life, a recommitment to seeking His face and time in His Word. And I'd just like to ask you right now, if you'd like to have a fresh start and just say, God, I just want to come to you on this Easter and I just thank you that you make all things new because you're alive. You give me a new day, a new commission, a fresh start to be all you've called me to be. If you would just slip up your hand right now. Anybody around the room? Yes. Yes. Thank you. I see several. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity, the amazing privilege of proclaiming that Jesus, your son, is alive. Thank you for these hearts this morning that you've spoken to, that you've drawn by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for these brothers and sisters who are taking that first step of faith and crossing that line of faith and saying, Jesus, save me from my sin. Come into my heart. Cleanse me. Make me your child. Forgive me of my sin. I turn, I repent, I turn to you, O oh God. I put my trust in you. And Lord, for these this morning who've been walking with you, and Father, just need a fresh touch of your Holy Spirit, fill them today, O oh God. Give us a sense of purpose and destiny. Lord, as we walk out of this place, to know that the resurrection changes everything. We can start right now and make a whole new end. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said,